Good morning, lovely Grace Vineyard. Thank you for joining us this morning and welcome to those who will watch this later. I have called my message, Break My Heart for What Breaks Yours. And I'm warning you now, fasten your seatbelts. This is not an easy message to preach or to hear, but it is the Word of God. And as such, we must sit up and take note. So if you're still with us, let's get started. Last week, we started our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we will be continuing to focus on this teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapters 5 to 7 over the coming weeks. If you missed the first session, may I suggest you listen to it, as so much of what I spoke on last week is reflected in the rest of the series. The Sermon on the Mount, as it is called, is a concentration of the teachings of Jesus during his life and ministry. The Beatitudes at the beginning of the sermon describe the character of one who is truly righteous and who will experience kingdom life. It is a list of blessings the righteous person receives because these are the characteristics he or she displays. It is in stark contrast to the character of the scribes and Pharisees. When Jesus uses the term blessed, which means happy, he's not talking about an emotion based on circumstances. He is talking about our condition before God. Blessed means one who has received a gift or favor from God and is happy. I love that in Malawi I met children and adults who were called blessing. They were named because their parents saw them as a blessing from God. I felt very sorry for the ones who were called Mavutu which means trouble, or very late. There is so much in a name. Our verse for this morning is Matthew 5 and verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. For Jesus to say, blessed are those who mourn, sounds crazy. Is he saying, happy are those who are sad? That wouldn't make any sense at all. For us to understand what Jesus means, we must understand what kind of mourning he is talking about. Jesus is talking about mourning over sin. Mourning is not about a constant state of despair or low self-esteem. These manifest an unhealthy preoccupation with self. Jesus is also not talking here about the kind of mourning that results in financial loss, terminal sickness, the death of a loved one, a divorce, a problem with children, or loneliness. Remember, Jesus speaks in paradoxes. What he is really saying is how blessed happy and approved by God we are 
when we recognize sin in ourselves, others, and the world around us, and mourn and grieve over it. True mourning is over sin and is focused Godward and finds comfort there where God's grace and holiness offer forgiveness. There is a beautiful line from the song Hallelujah by Hillsong, which says, Break my heart for what breaks yours. All I am for your kingdom's cause. That is the kind of mourning Jesus is talking about here. It is a godly sorrow over rebellion against God and hostility to his will, a grief over self-righteousness and complacency. This is the second beatitude and it builds on the first. Remember the ladder and the way up is the way down. To mourn is something that follows being poor in spirit. Neither of these beatitudes is a blessing in itself, but they result in blessing. I am confronted with God's holiness. I see my utter helplessness and hopelessness, my brokenness and spiritual poverty. And the next step up or down is to feel sorrow or to mourn because I realize I have sinned against a holy God and have brought dishonor to his name. I have offended him, disobeyed him, and gone my own way, following the ways of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We mourn and grieve over our sin because our sin grieves God. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. Psalm 51, 17. We must acknowledge that we have violated God's holy law. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. 1 John 1, 8 to 10. Only Christians under the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit will realistically declare that not only are they spiritually bankrupt or poor in spirit, but that they are grieving or mourning over their sins. Opposition to God is the very heart and essence of sin. How many people do you know who mourn over their sin? Do you? Do I? One problem we increasingly face in our day is a conspicuous lack of seriousness concerning sin. Society today is pleasure mad and hell-bent on amusement. The word amuse is the opposite of muse, which means to become absorbed in deep thought. People spend much of their time, money and effort on wanting to be entertained. They do this because they think it will make them happy. But such happiness is fleeting. And they always want more, 
They are never satisfied. They want to enjoy life and put mourning and sorrow as far away as possible. Amusement is a diversion and today's mantra is don't worry, be happy. Sin simply doesn't exist. Even among Christians, sin is seemingly not taken seriously anymore. We must also be careful not to be railing against certain outward behaviours we disapprove of in others while ignoring the more deadly attitudes of our hearts like pride, arrogance, self-righteousness, strife, lust or a judgmental spirit. This is not taking our sin seriously. This is like seeing the speck in our brother's eye while refusing to acknowledge the plank in our own eye. Matthew 7, 3. Taking our sin seriously means that we truly mourn over our sinful state. It is the cry of the one whose heart has been broken because he has sinned against God. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. 2 Corinthians 7.10 After David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, he mourned deeply over his sin. His soul was wrenched to its very depths. He cried out to God, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Psalm 51, 3 and 4. David had sinned against God and he mourned over it, not because he had been caught, but because he had sinned. It was an affront against God and this broke David's heart. He turned to God and asked, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Psalm 51, 10-12 Does your sin break your heart and cause you to mourn? If I speak angrily to someone, do I mourn or blame the other person for causing me to lose my temper? I need to continually mourn when I sin so God can continually forgive me and comfort me. God takes sin so seriously that he sent Jesus, his only son, to die, to pay the penalty for our sin. When Jesus hung on that cross and the nails were driven into his hands and feet, it was because of your sin and mine. Jesus suffered a horrible agony because it was the only way to deal with our sins. How seriously do you take your sin? Does it break your heart? 
do you mourn? Mourning has to do, first of all, with personal sin, as we have seen. We can also exhibit godly sorrow and grieve or mourn over the sins of others. Psalm 119, 136 says, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. When we mourn for the sins of others, our families, friends, those in the church, our hearts should break for them and we should be praying for them to see their sins and turn from their wicked ways and turn to Jesus. Scripture describes Jesus as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53.3 Jesus weeps for Jerusalem because of what her sins brings on her. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven. When you see a friend or loved one involved in sin, do you mourn? Does it break your heart or do you judge? Remember, Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. Are we willing to do that? Or do we have a holier-than-thou attitude and shun them? A lovely young pastor in our hometown in South Africa had his heart broken for the prostitutes that worked the red light district down by the docks. He would visit them at night when they were out walking their beat and when they approached him for sex, he would tell them that they were beautiful and loved by the Heavenly Father and of great worth. He would then present them with a red rose as a sign of the Father's love and offer to pray with them. Many were so touched by this act of pure love, they shared their stories with him and some even left their profession, believing they were worth more than cheap sex and found other work. Not only should we be mourning our own sin and the sin of others, but we should also be mourning the sins of the world. What do we do when we turn on the news and see a military coup in a far off land? Do we weep with the people being wrongly imprisoned and killed? Or do we turn it off and turn on our favorite soap for some light entertainment? Can we rather pray and intercede for mercy and truth and justice and love? How aware are you of sin in your own life, the lives of others and in the world? Does it break your heart and cause you to mourn? If not, perhaps the lyrics break my heart for what break your, breaks yours should become our prayer. All is not doom and gloom. This beatitude ends with an encouraging promise. For they will be comforted.
they refers to those who mourn over their sin. They will be comforted. The background for what Christ is saying here is found in Isaiah 61, 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. The passage describes those who are overwhelmed by their sinfulness when the Messiah comes, and it speaks of the comfort he will bring. This is tied inseparably with what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Only those who have experienced anguish and sorrow over their sin will receive the blessed comfort only the Messiah can bring. This comfort, first and foremost, is to those who mourn, those who are poor in spirit, those who humble themselves before Almighty God, who turn from their sin and are united to Christ by faith. It is not for those who remain alienated from God. Scripture tells us that many will be justly punished in hell for their sin and rebellion against God, that they will not be comforted. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Matthew 7.13 In hell there will be much weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 13.28 And that there is no peace for the wicked. Isaiah 57.21 But in Revelation 21.4 God promises that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Their eyes are the eyes of they that mourn. God has placed before you blessings and curses, life or death. What will you choose and how will that reflect the way you live your life? The righteous mourn over their own sin, that of others and the general sin that has our world in bondage. Yet in each area, Christ gives us comfort. The Lord forgives our sins through the death of Jesus Christ. He has given us the gospel, a message of hope to others. God has also given us the sure promise 
of the future redemption of all things. There will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 2 Peter 3.13 God gives us comfort in himself. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. He has given us the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, as described in John 14. God's comfort is the blessing he bestows on the righteous when they mourn. In Psalm 30, 11 and 12, it says, You turned my mourning into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. What a wonderful way to end today's message. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that you sent your Son to take the punishment for our sin so we could be forgiven and that you gave us the Holy Spirit to be our comforter. Lord, I pray that you would give us strength to endure the grief of this world and comfort us with the hope of our resurrection in you. Let us not grieve or mourn in hopelessness, but mourn with the hope that you are in control, that you are altogether good and wise in your purposes. Strengthen us in our weaknesses and give us the courage to recognize and mourn our sins so you can comfort us with your everlasting love. Thank you that you bless us with every blessing and that you turn our mourning into dancing. May our attitudes be those of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.